friends. <clears throat> um, so my challenge for you today, in terms of getting wet this week, is to actually get up early in the morning and go outside when the dew is still on the grass. Um, it's been so hot lately that getting up really early in the morning like that lets you enjoy sort of just the world around you and all the beauty and everything that's available to you without worrying about being in the sun too long or anything else. Um, so get outside when it's still so dewy on the grass that your feet get soggy. That's my challenge. And now we are going to continue with the Penderwicks. Um, chapter 13. Miette. Rosalind had found her favorite place in Quigley Woods long ago. She'd been taking a walk there with her mother, just the two of them. Skye and Jane had been... Rosalind couldn't remember where they'd been. She could only remember how wonderful it was to have her mother all to herself. They'd followed the stream, talking and laughing, until they came upon a low stone wall. It had been autumn then, just like now, and her mother had brushed the fallen leaves from the stones so that they could sit and watch the stream burble along. Next spring, you and I will have a picnic here, Rosie, her mother had promised. But by the next spring, Rosalind pulled herself up. She hadn't come to her favorite place in Quigley Woods to feel sorry for herself. She'd been doing too much of that lately. No, she'd come here with Batty and Ben to get away from the house for Jane and Skye were back there practicing sisters and sacrifice and arguing about it, just as they'd been doing all week. It would be a great relief when Skye went to Boston tomorrow, because there'd be no talk of Aztecs for two whole days. Blood! Innocent blood! You try it, Ben. Batty, don't teach him that! Rosalind crunched through the leaves to where Batty and Ben were trying to stuff Hound into a red wagon. But he needs a new word! Not that word. Rosalind picked up Ben and kissed his fat cheek. Say dog, Ben. Say hound. Say batty. Please don't say blood. Ben said nothing at all. How about rainbow? Say rainbow, Ben, tried batty. Not that either. Rosalind shook her head at Ben to discourage thoughts of Aztecs. He patted her face cheerfully and then pointed to the ground. He wants to get down, said Batty. So Rosalind put Ben down, went back to the stone wall, and opened a book of Shakespeare's sonnets. She had to memorize a poem to recite in English class, and she signed up for Shakespeare without realizing that most of his poems were about love. Like, say that thou didst forsake me for some fault, and that thou hast her, it is not all my grief. As Rosalind had no intention of talking about love in public, she was looking for a sonnet that was confusing enough that no one would pick up on the love part. Rosalind flipped through the book. Here was a possibility. Why didst thou promise such a beauteous day and make me travel forth without my cloak? She was yanked away from Shakespeare by hound. He'd knocked over the wagon and was crunched low in compact position, his noise pointed deep into Quigley Woods, away from Gardam Street. And he was growling. "'What is it, Batty?' she asked, for Batty and Ben were flat on the ground beside Hound, their noses pointed in the same direction. "'We hear someone coming. It's probably Bugman.' Rosalind couldn't hear anything. 
Why don't you and Ben worry about something else for a while? Aliens from outer space, for example. Because there aren't any aliens from outer space on Gardam Street, answered Batty patiently. And there's no bug. Rosalind stopped, for now she did hear something. A pounding noise, the kind made by a lot of running feet. If that was Bugman coming out, out of the deep, quiggly woods, he had to be at least a centipede. Unless he had a whole lot of other bug men with him. Now she could hear chanting along with the pounding. She strained to pick out the words. See something something. See eight something. Hound had gone from growling to barking and Batty and Ben had hidden behind the stone wall. Rosalind, though, wasn't going to hide. She stood, hands on hips next to Hound, ready to confront whoever was pounding past her favorite place. The chanters were coming closer now, and their words becoming more clear. And then, Rosalind realized they weren't words at all. They were letters. C-H-S, she said. Cameron High School. Now, a long line of tall boys in football uniforms came into the view, running through the woods. Pound, 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 pound. Rosalind stepped away from the path, pulling Hound with her. So she, for she had no need or desire to confront 30 or so high school boys in the middle of a training run. In fact, she wished now she was behind the wall with Batty and Ben, just in case one of the giants in helmets was Nick Geiger, and he was in the mood to humiliate her. Rosie! She groaned. Not only was Nick there, he was the first in line. And when he stopped in front of her, all the other football players stopped too. Hi, Nick, she said blushing and hating it. Men, take a breather, Nick shouted, and say hello to Rosalind. Grunted greetings came from the dozens of manly throats. Rosalind hoped a tree would fall on Nick's head. What are you doing? She hissed at him. Rough train training. I've been trying out my theories about it on Tommy, and Coach was interested enough to let me use the whole team for research. As long as nobody breaks any limbs, he said. Nick turned and shouted at the other players again. Anything broken yet? More grunts, this time negative ones. Nick. She spoke slowly and carefully, as if to a person who didn't understand English. I meant, why did you and your team stop here? Because there you were, and I remember that I needed to talk to you in private. Private? Don't worry about the boys, Nick said blithely, taking off his helmet. You're in seventh grade. They barely realize you're here. He was right. Not one of Nick's teammates was paying the least attention to her, though several were playing with Hound. She relaxed a little. What do you need to talk about? The Tommy and Tribbly situation. She knew what he meant, for Anna had been keeping her updated. Tommy and Trilby together in the cafeteria, in the library, in the gym... Tommy and Trilby sharing a lunch tray, exchanging romantic looks, holding hands, all nauseating behavior in Rosalind's opinion. It's none of my business, Nick. But he needs help, Rosie. This Trilby's telling everyone he's her boyfriend. She calls him every night, sometimes two or three times, and here's the worst. She goes to all of his football practices and cheers for him. Nick pitched his high voice. Go, Tommy, go! You're the best. I agree. It's disgusting. But what can I do about it? 
talk to him. I've tried, but he doesn't listen to me. He doesn't listen to me either, Nick. Besides, if I could stop people from going on dates just by talking to them, I'd start with Daddy. Poor Mr. Penn. Has he had a second date with Marianne? Not yet. Rosalind put the emphasis on yet. Her father had said nothing about his plans for the weekend, and she feared the worst. Impending doom, huh? Sorry. Nick did look sorry, for which Rosalind was grateful. But being sorry didn't make him give up about Tommy. Rosie, listen to me. Trilby wants Tommy to celebrate their anniversary. Their one-week anniversary. This is a truly sad come-down for a man and a Geiger. Please say you'll talk some sense into him. I can't. For what if Tommy got the idea that she cared one way or the other? Which she didn't, of course. That's your final answer? Yes. All right, then. I didn't want to do this. But you forced my hand, he said, and then called to the football players hanging around Hound. Jorge, come here. One of the largest of the group lumbered over. What's up? Tell Rosalind she must have talked to Tommy about the Trilby situation. You must talk to Tommy about the Trilby situation, said Jorge from his great height. Thanks. Nick sent Jorge away, then called over another Colossus. Lachlan, you're next. Rosalind put up her hands in surrender. Okay, Nick, you've won. She knew he was capable of parading every one of the football players in front of her until she broke down. Excellent, said Nick, waving off Lachlan. Now, Rosie, promise that you'll talk to Tommy about Trilby. Under duress, I promise, she said, glaring, that I'll talk to Tommy about Trilby. Happy now? Delighted. I'm counting on your famous Penderwick family honor to make you put forth your best effort. He jammed his helmet back on. Say something in Russian to him. He likes that. The only Russian I know is Niet, for no. That'll do. Just talk to him. Nick turned and faced his team. Break over! Forward, men! The line of football players took up their chanting again. C-H-S! C-H-S! And pounded off down the path. When the last of them was gone and their noise faded into the distance, Rosalind and Hound looked over the stone wall and found Batty and Ben contentedly curled up together on a pile of leaves. It was only Nick and his friends, Rosalind told them. Nothing to be afraid of. We weren't, were we, Ben? Ben yawned and beat his fists together. That means he agrees with me. I think it means he's hungry. Rosalind picked Ben up and nestled him in her arms. What a comfort he was. Let's take him home. Batty climbed into the wagon and the little group set off down the path. It was more trampled than when they'd come, for the football players had not gone through gently. The leaves were smashed, their lovely rustle flattened out of them, and here and there tree branches had been snapped off by linebackers with extra wide shoulders. Quigley Woods had not been improved by rough terrain tra training, and Rosalind had to wonder if the football team would be either. Nick's coaching theories were often like that. Possibly brilliant, but also possibly half-baked. What about his other theory? That Rosalind should discuss Trilby with Tommy. Definitely half-baked. Tommy hated being told what to do, a natural result of living with bossy Nick all his life. This talking to was not going to be pleasant. When they reached Diantha's house, Rosalind brushed off the leaves and dirt that Ben had accumulated in Quigley Woods. 
This was the first time she'd had Ben on her own, and she wanted to bring him back in good condition. For extra measure, she brushed off Thaddy too, and then Hound, and then herself. And only then did she ring the doorbell. When Iantha opened the door, she was holding a red pen and had several more stuck behind her ears and in the pocket of her shirt. "'Are we interrupting?' asked Rosalind. She'd taken the little ones away to give Iantha a break and to make up for all the afternoons Batty spent at her house, causing who knew how much chaos. "'Did we come back too soon?' "'No, your timing is just right. I keep getting annoying phone calls from a disgruntled ex-colleague, and when I haven't been arguing with him, I've been going insane reading my students' papers.' Apparently, several of them think the Hubble Space Telescope is used to search the universe for Hubbles. Come in. Come in. Hound settled on the step beside the red wagon, hoping for a glimpse of his friend Asimov, and the rest of them went inside. It still felt strange for Rosalind to do so, as the previous owners had been unsociable people, especially when it came to children. Her few memories of the house were of a gray, dusty place, with the blinds always drawn. It was nothing like that now that it was Iantha's. All the walls were pale green or ivory, and there were no blinds at all, just gauzy curtains pulled back to let in light. And it smelled nice, like... Rosalind sniffed. Oranges, maybe? While Iantha took Ben and Batty into the kitchen to get snacks, Rosalind wandered around the living room to look at a display of family photographs. There were several of Ben. As a chubby infant with just a dusting of red hair, as a chubby six-month-old with his funny grin already in full force, as a not-quite-so-chubby one-year-old. And then there was one of Iantha holding hands with a tall, blonde man. Rosalind leaned closer to see it better. My husband, Dan. Iantha was back with Batty and Ben and a plate of oatmeal cookies and, oh, orange slices. I'm sorry, said Rosalind. I didn't mean to snoop. You didn't. Here, eat something. He was handsome. Achoo! Excuse me, children. Yes, and even smarter than he was handsome. Do you know how he died? A drunk driver crashed into his car. It was six months before Ben was born, said Iantha. That's the part I mind the most. That he never met Ben. Do you? Rosalind wasn't quite sure how to ask. Do you get used to it? Yes, Iantha smiled. After a while, Ben and Batty drifted across the room to the window where they were whispering together, while Asimov wove through both their legs. Rosalind feared another bugman sighting, but when Batty did spot someone a few moments later, it turned out to be worse than bugman. It's Tommy! Tommy's home! She called out. Rosalind! I hear you, Batty, she answered glad that the window was closed, or Tommy would have heard her too, even from all the way across the street. Nice boy, Tommy. Good looking too, said Iantha. I think both the Geiger boys are. I do remember from my younger days, though, that adults never seem to get that stuff right. What do you think? They're okay, I guess. Rosalind had never paid much attention to the Geiger's looks. Mostly they're just annoying, especially today. Nick made me promise to talk to Tommy about something that I don't want to talk to him about, and Tommy won't want to talk to me about it either. It's going to be a disaster. How do you even start a conversation like that? Do you want to practice? Pretend I'm Tommy. Rosalind squinted at Iantha, trying to make her look like Tommy. But it was impossible. 
no one had that much imagination. I don't know. Does this help? Iantha took a lampshade from a nearby lamp and put it on her head. Now, I'm Tommy in a football helmet. Say hello, Tommy, and go from there. Hello, Tommy, I want... Rosalind couldn't get any further without laughing. Rosie, you're not concentrating. I am, she protested, laughing harder. Attracted by the laughter, Batty and Ben left their window and came over to watch their elders. Having an audience didn't help Rosalind gather her thoughts. And when Asimov made a flying leap from a chair to knock the lampshade off Iantha's head, Rosalind gave up altogether and surrendered to hysteria. Maybe I should just go see Tommy now and get it over with, she said, when she could catch her breath. Are you sure? asked Iantha. We could practice more. Please, no more practicing. Good luck, then. You'll be great. And I'll go with you, Rosalind, said Batty. Tommy is my good friend. Discussing Trilby was going to be difficult enough without Batty chiming in. Not this time, Batikins. Why not? Batty, dear, stay here with me and Ben while Rosalind visits Tommy, said Iantha. But why? <coughs> Hold on a second, guys. Hi, friends. Sorry, <laughs> got interrupted. Sorry, guys. And that's Mr. Kepner and Bowser. Um, Batty, dear, stay here with me and Ben while Rosalind visits Tommy, said Iantha. But why? Because sometimes older sisters want to be alone with people, without younger sisters around. This set off a series of additional questions from Batty, which Iantha gracefully took on, giving Rosalind the chance to slip away unnoticed. She crossed the street to the Geiger's house, headed round to the back and knocked on the kitchen door, just as she'd done a thousand times before. This time, though, it wasn't a Geiger who opened the door, but Brendan, one of Tommy's football buddies. Rosalind had already had her fill of football players that afternoon, and then it got worse, for when she stepped inside, she saw that Tommy hadn't brought home just Brendan. The kitchen was crammed full of boys. Simon, Josh, Kaleem, Hong, Brian, Jack, and the food they were consuming. Every horizontal surface was covered with milk cartons, blocks of cheese, cold pizza, fruit, or its remains, jars of who knew what, and loaf upon loaf of bread. Hey, Rosie, you want a sandwich? Tommy flopped a peanut butter sandwich at her from the other side of the room. No, thanks. Actually, I need to talk to you. Okay. He finished his sandwich and grabbed another. I mean, without them. Brendan hooted obnoxiously. But Rosalind withered him with regal disregard. The rest of the boys, not wanting to be similarly withered, cleared a path to Tommy and let her push him and his sandwich out into the hall. Hello, Tommy. I... Now what? She realized too late that she had needed practice after all. Stalling, she looked him over, one old friend surveying another. You've grown a few inches. I know. Still too skinny, though. I know that, too. He shoved the rest of the sandwich into his mouth. Sure, you don't want anything to eat? Yes, I'm sure. Thank you. Then what do you want? Tommy asked, most reasonably. For a fleeting second or two, she considered asking him to put a lampshade on his head. Oh, just plunge in. I want... Somewhere upstairs, the phone rang. Tommy strode across the hall and shouted up the steps. Mom, don't answer it! But Mrs. Geiger must not have heard him. For a moment later, she came down holding the receiver. Why, Rosie, how nice to see you with your bright cheeks. I swear, you just keep getting prettier all the time. Mom? Tommy pointed to the phone. Oh, yes, honey, it's Trilby again. 
Mrs. Gagger handed over the phone and with a wave for Rosalind, went back upstairs. Rosalind stared at the ceiling while Tommy was on the phone, doing her best not to listen, though, since Trilby seemed to be doing all the talking, there wasn't much to hear. After a dozen or so nonspecific grunts, Tommy hung up and turned sheepishly to Rosalind. Now she knew how to begin. So that was Trilby. Did she call often? I guess so. That must be annoying. Not necessarily, he answered, suddenly as stone-faced as Mount Rushmore, as Rosalind later told Anna. Oh, sure it is, she said, rushing on despite Tommy's lack of encouragement. That and the cheering at football practice, the whole one-week anniversary thing, and, well, etc. It must be driving you crazy. Etc.? You know. Blah, blah, blah. He folded his arms and looked even more Mount Rushmore-ish. Are you jealous? Jealous of Trilby? She was astonished at his stupidity. Niet! 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 Then what business is it of yours? None. You're absolutely right. None. Why should I care about what you do? That's what I told Nick, but he... Nick? You and Nick have been talking about me? The great and perfect Rosalind and my great and perfect big brother have been deciding what's best for me? Tommy stomped around in a circle and came back to glower at her. Now that drives me crazy. When pushed, and Rosalind was definitely feeling pushed, she could glower as well as anyone, and the glowering bouncing around that afternoon was truly frightening. As neither combatant had any intention of backing down, they could have been there for hours if Simon hadn't wandered into the hall. Gagger, you're out of peanut butter, he said, then ducked, for all the glowering was suddenly turned on him. Never mind. Simon disappeared, and Rosalind found that she was out of glowers, and out of words, too. She'd been an idiot to start this, an idiot to promise Nick, an idiot all around. I'm sorry, Tommy, she said. Fine. He, at least, had plenty of glowering left in him. I'll leave now. Also fine. Going back through that kitchen full of boys was impossible. So this time, Rosalind took the front door. Despite good intentions, she slammed it on the way out.